Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of How to Scale Your Business. Today, I have on the podcast David Doss, member of the board of directors of Chain BLX and founder of CKC Fund. How are you doing, David? Good. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate you having me on the show. Of course. Of course. So what's going on? Uh, you know, tell us about the history and the background of, you know, CKC or, you know, Chain BLX. Just, you know, give us give us some information. Yeah, for sure. So um, real quick on my background, uh, I've been involved in the blockchain space for about the last six or seven years. And that comes from a larger background in marketing, strategy, operations uh, globally in fintechs and e-commerce in uh, privacy, tech, various other uh, sectors. And yeah, to your question about CKC fund, about chain DLX, so Chain BLX is a essentially a enterprise group of companies, and some of these are on the events and corporate development side, and they help to organize a variety of events, including private events in Davos every January in Switzerland. And then there's also within Chain BLX a number of different alternative asset investment funds, and CKC Fund is the digital asset or crypto fund within that overall network. So what we're looking to do is at CKC fund is to take a conventional asset management, wealth management approach and apply that to the emerging digital asset space. So uh, there's a lot of promise, uh, a lot of opportunity in the digital asset space, but there's also a lot of risk as is the case with, well, not just any asset class, but, um, but also in particular with any emerging asset class. And so what we look to do is take methodical, fundamental analysis-driven approaches uh, that have been tried and true in other markets like stocks or bonds and apply those to the digital asset space. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I want to get a little bit more into uh, Chain BLX first, then we'll come back to CKC. Uh, so you mentioned private events. What, is, what does that mean? You know, if you could go in a little bit of a detail about that. Yeah. So Chain BLX has, for a number of years, been helping to organize a significant number of events in Davos, Switzerland, each January, which is a really remarkable opportunity because every year in January, about 40,000 people come to Davos uh, to participate in, in conferences and in networking. Uh, you really have just this unparalleled global community there. And so Chain BLX has been helping to organize events ranging from panels to uh, galas and private receptions where people across the public sector and the private sector can meet and mingle and discuss ways to collaborate uh, ranging from innovation to uh, global impact in various other areas. Cool. And can you just walk us through, through the overall strategy there? You know, why da why Davos? Why you know, you know, why you know? Just give us the why. You know, we're curious. Yeah. So it comes down to partly that that global community I was referencing that you have so many people you have really about 40,000 people come to this village that has about 8,000 person population. So kind of overnight, you have all of these change makers from around the world 
uh, come into this this really small city and you're you're literally bumping into people that could be a a life-changing uh interaction uh you know from potentially from your home city or potentially from the other side of the world so that's that's a large part of of where that uh involvement comes from cool cool um yeah so i want to get into ckc a little bit too um can you tell us about how, uh, you know, you've managed with the changes in the in- industry over the last couple of years, especially, you know, in 2021, it was a little rough. And then also, uh, you know, some uncertainty going around with crypto right now. Can you just give us some information there? Yeah, for sure. So there are multiple answers to this and maybe maybe more answers than we even have time for. But uh, a few that come to mind. So firstly, you know, you're right that uh, the last really last year or two, 2022, 2023 have been a, a bit rough, um, but all things considered, actually, my perspective is that this is just part of a larger cycle. So, you know, having been involved in blockchain and crypto for almost seven years, I've hit, uh, yeah, I've experienced at minimum, this would be my second uh, kind of significant bear market, significant kind of crypto economic downturn. And the last time around, honestly, was, I thought, a lot more brutal than this time around, where uh, there was just a, a complete lack of interest in the public consciousness around blockchain and crypto in uh, 2018, 2019, um, in a way that I think is really not the case at this point, where a lot of people have a lot of sophisticated investors, a lot of institutions have really recognized, hey, this is here to stay. And so, yes, there is, you know, from a uh, kind of a larger perspective, yeah, there is there is a downturn uh, in the market, but I see just so much incredible talent and so much uh, so much financial capital, so much human capital going into this space, even still, and looking at a number of events in the space that could really be another tipping point. A lot of analysts will really predict that not only uh, not only are analysts arguing that we've hit more or less the bottom of this current market, meaning that there is a lot of upside, but also various analysts are predicting anywhere ranging between a hundred thousand and three hundred thousand plus dollar value for Bitcoin within the next year or two. Which you know you can always you can always get you know just that one person who says something preposterous like it's going to be twenty billion dollars or or whatever or it's going to go to a complete zero but if you look at you know if you look across the most credible analysts and you take you know the the kind of the median figures and such that would be you know a range of of plausible uh predictions there so and then another relevant point would be just in terms of the challenges yes there, there have been a number of regulatory challenges and uh you know certainly also there have been, you know, scams going on in the space. And I think important things to realize is that none of this is new, that, you know, thinking through, for example, US regulatory history, there's been a lot of kind of openness to to new technologies, new innovations, and then slowly kind of a, uh, a, a uh, refinement of the regulatory uh, oversight for that. And that's just how you know, markets and how new emerging opportunities have worked in the United States and in, in other countries as well. 
And then on the scam side of things, also very similar that, you know, ranging from, uh, you know, let's say the dot-com boom to uh, railroads, you just have experienced scams alongside amazing groundswells of innovation, um, where really it ultimately comes down to conducting research, you know, doing your own research and also working with people who can elevate that research to make sure that that you're getting as much as possible of the good and avoiding the bad. Cool, cool. That's awesome. You gave a whole bunch of information there, and I want to go back and break it down a little bit further. Um, sure. So you mentioned, uh, you know, what analysts think where Bitcoin's going and the future of Bitcoin. You know, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. You know, where do you think it's going? Yeah. So from a uh, well. Good question. There's there's Bitcoin and then there's digital assets in general, right? Sure. Let's so, talk about both. So exactly, exactly. So there's there are a couple of relevant points there. One is, you know, for better or worse, Bitcoin has kind of become the the standard bearer, the symbol of the digital asset space, right? But ultimately you have thousands of other digital assets. Last time I checked, it was somewhere north of twenty-three thousand. And I'm sure it's you know, it, it keeps it keeps growing. Obviously, not all of these are going to become, you know, the next Bitcoin or whatever. And Bitcoin still has very strong market dominance, which can range anywhere from about 40 to about 70 percent of the total market. That said, if you were, for example, investing into stocks, you wouldn't just say, OK, well, I'm going to put all my money into Tesla or I'm going to put all my money into Google. Right. And so similarly, you know, while you know, those are, I think, good examples of, I think, you know, a lot of people are very bullish on Tesla or on Google, at least over a long uh, period of time. But, um, you know, just similarly with, with Bitcoin, I could be bullish on Bitcoin, uh, optimistic about kind of the long-term trajectory and still want to diversify uh, into uh, other, you know, high cap, high market cap, digital assets, as well as, you know, mid cap and, and low cap digital assets. So um, my focus and the focus of the team at CKC fund are less on kind of trying to time the market, time the price of Bitcoin and more on diversifying um, into, into other digital assets so that can capture uh, upside in various market conditions and also basically minimize the risk of overexposure to any uh, unexpected events in any one uh, specific digital asset. Gotcha. Gotcha. I know, you, you know, you just said that you guys aren't trying to time the market or anything like that. Um, but I'm curious, do you see any like trending and emerging digital assets that are popping up now or that you think will be popping up pretty soon? So rather than specific assets, I would say, uh, I would say for us, it's it's more at looking at kind of use cases. So you know, just like in let's say startup land, or you know, just in the business world, there could be multiple companies trying to help solve for a specific use case. Uh, somewhat similarly, also in you know in the digital asset space, there's there are various utilities such as uh, decentralized file storage or let's say, uh, environmental applications for, for blockchain or 
let's say remittances, money transfers around the world to, you know, especially to countries where uh, there's, it's very difficult to send money. Um, banking the unbanked, there's uh, also uh, really just multiple um, beyond that smart contract platforms, etc. So within that, I think, uh, to your point, there are some emerging use cases that I think are starting to become interesting. For one thing, uh, especially, you know, in this kind of new groundswell of interest in AI, there's starting to become a lot of uh, discussion around kind of the roles that AI and blockchain can um, can really play as a kind of a uh, overall uh, whole uh, of an ecosystem. So those could include, for example, using blockchain to help detect uh, and prevent against deep fakes, um, for example, that are uh, infringing on artist rights or infringing on uh, you know media personality rights. Uh, could also other use cases around AI and blockchain can include uh, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations within the the blockchain space. If you think of decentralized uh, autonomous organizations, the mate the kind of major driving goal is to have them not even really require any human interaction. So it doesn't take too much, uh, you know, imagination to to think that AI can play a role in kind of automating all of that stuff into something that doesn't require human interaction. Uh, but these are examples of where, you know, it's still, uh, you know, pretty early days and, you know, maybe a little bit too soon to call out any, any one particular, you know, winner, but, but promising areas nonetheless. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's, you know, great information. Um, a while back, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, regulations. Can you talk about that a little bit? Do you, you know, what kind of regulations do you think we're going to see, you know, maybe this year or in the near future, the next five years? Yeah. So, well, let's see. Uh, for one thing, it does seem like the U.S. is is really moving towards uh, a more clear regulatory framework, which could help to uh, to really kind of clarify things on a global level. I think that a lot of uh, a lot of different regulatory institutions around the world are kind of to some extent waiting to see what the U.S. will do. In some cases, because they will kind of follow suit and copy what the U.S. is doing. And in other cases, because they will want to uh, kind of become a counterpoint of maybe providing a different type of regulatory framework that can uh, provide a different type of value. So I think there is a little bit of uncertainty right now, but moving towards a, a, a kind of a, a space of more certainty. Other, uh, other kind of interesting regulatory developments are for example, going on in the European Union. So there's uh, much talked about Mika uh, regulation. Uh, I think uh, kind of as a overall theme, a what a lot of these regulators are looking to do is to uh, to mitigate and to, to to limit risk for retail investors, for, for folks who may, uh, for example, uh, not have a whole lot of capital to invest and and might also not understand um at perhaps enough what's going on in the market um for these types of folks to to not be 
uh, unduly hurt or taken advantage of. And another area is also around exchanges. Uh, so the, the push to regulate exchanges makes, I think, a lot of is understandable, makes can make a lot of sense for regulators because you're often ultimately dealing with kind of a, a high uh, velocity of money where you're, you're moving money in and out very quickly uh, at often very small amounts. And in those types of situations, it, it can increase the likelihood of kind of suspicious activity such as uh, you know money, money laundering activity. Um, so that the push to to regulate in that area as well is also, I think, increasing and and understandable. Uh, beyond that, um, to the point of of some folks perhaps or some regulators looking to you know perhaps cop copy regulation within other kind of uh, you know larger regulatory bodies such as in the U.S. or the EU, uh, and other folks looking to uh, kind of provide a counterpoint to that. Uh, as as a regulatory body, I think that uh, there there is increasingly a lot of uh, a lot of uh, opportunity brewing in some of these more small uh, nation state type of uh, regulatory bodies, such as in Hong Kong or in uh, the United Arab Emirates, especially Dubai, Abu Dhabi, but several of the other Emirates as well. Uh, you know, certainly also some some interesting things happening in. Uh, in in other kind of uh, smaller nations where there is the ability to kind of enact more change more quickly given uh, kind of a, a smaller uh, smaller population and smaller size of government. And another area where regulation is starting to seem interesting is in places where the financial institutions may not be as, Kind of cemented as in places like the United States, where you often see this in innovation that there's kind of this like leapfrog innovation uh, type of situation. Example would be in mobile phones that some of the countries like the United States that had, you know, I remember growing up these call boxes, right, where you'd see like every every couple of miles or whatever on the freeway there'd be these you know big plastic uh, telephone booths or whatever. I just had you know had invested so much into landline infrastructure that compared to some other countries in the world, it took the U.S. a while to actually uh, you know, mass adopt uh, mobile phone technology, whereas uh, countries that maybe hadn't invested as much into that uh, kind of legacy infrastructure had uh, less to lose and more to gain by moving forward. I think you'll also start to see that from a regulatory standpoint in, in areas where there's, let's say they were arguably a bit behind within a, a legacy system and are now provided with an opportunity to catch up or even surpass. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so you just provided a ton of information. Um, and I'm curious, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure everyone listening to is curious, how do you stay up to date with the latest trends and the development in, in your industry? Where are you getting this information from? Yeah, so let's see, I mean, there's there's a lot of information there's also a lot of noise um you know there's there's also a lot of uh pay to play news uh in well just in this world in general but uh, but particularly in digital assets so you know i i would say you know it is it is a challenge for sure um the you know i i would say for one thing just 
looking at multiple different sources and kind of comparing and contrasting um, is is one good way uh, to to move forward. Um, there's also and and you really do have to be to be careful. Um, for example, there was uh, recently a like a, a fake announcement on a major uh, major blockchain news outlet about uh, kind of a a major market development happening that hadn't yet happened. Um, and it, it kind of uh, created a lot of unnecessary drama, right? So um, I would say do your own research and rely on multiple different sources is the, the best kind of general answer I could give. But beyond that, uh, maybe one of these sources that could become helpful to, to those who are curious is that our team puts out a bi-weekly newsletter on LinkedIn, as well as uh, on our website, where you can read up on kind of overall market analysis. Um, we feel that, you know, that that kind of cadence is is kind of the right, uh, right level for a lot of people, because the more you're looking at kind of, you know, checking the news minute to minute, the more often it, it's likely that you're going to get kind of noise and, and misinformation is what we've found for ourselves being in the industry. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's pretty much all the time we have here today. Um, David, I just want to say thank you for being on the show. And uh, so what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, um, you know, after, you know, after the podcast? Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, on the show, Eric. So uh, let's see. Um, yeah, we would love to to keep in touch with anyone who's who's interested in the space. Uh, see how I can I can help, how my team can help, how we might potentially collaborate as well. So uh, let's see some some areas to keep in touch. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so my my LinkedIn handle is David Ambrose Doss. You can also reach out to info at ckc fund um, for our. Uh, is our, our team inbox where I, I can see that as well as some of my other team members. And then beyond that, as I mentioned, you know, if you are curious about the space, I uh, would welcome you to take a look at our biweekly newsletter. And for those that are curious about the Davos side of, of what CKC Fund and Chain BLX are doing, you can also check out digitaldavos.app. And there's multiple different resources in there, including opportunities. Uh, there's currently an open call for speakers and panelists for some of our upcoming events in Davos this January. Great. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you again, Eric.